Optophobia, the fear of opening one's eyes. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging you, our listeners, to move beyond that fear, to solve riddles they don't want us to unriddle, to investigate supposedly ironclad truths, to unearth evidence buried for so long they believed it would stay buried. Season 2, Deep State. The Deep State is real. And it's just that, a 51st state, hidden from the American people, and unacknowledged by the federal government, even as it pulls the government's most important levers. How do you hide an entire state? You bury it. Deep. In Civics 101, we're taught the particulars of the visible constitutional state. The one you can visit in Washington. The one you vote for. Deep state is just a new term for a phenomenon that's influenced American democracy for 150 years. To many, it describes another more shadowy, more indefinable government. That description is accurate, but it's not the whole story. In July 1861, weeks after the first major fight of the Civil War, the first battle of Bull Run, members of President Lincoln's inner circle nervous about his chances at reuniting the nation, decided the country needed a backup plan in case the capital fell. They sent a small group of civil engineers called the Shovelmen to scout locations in the West. Today, some say the hole dug by the Shovelmen, believed to be underneath the Colorado-Wyoming border, houses a powerful bureaucracy rumored to be 600,000 strong. So why is a shadow government, designed to silently run the real version of American democracy, suddenly a regular topic of conversation within the constitutional state? Is there dissent in today's deep state? What's the ultimate goal of deep state leadership? This season on Optophobia, we'll track down the distortions, the assumptions, the omissions. Are you bored by the lies? Open your eyes. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Robert L. Wheeler. A feature that has come up repeatedly with our guests this season has been the amazing scientific advances in the deep state. We're going to continue with that theme with our guest today, who has some insights into anti-aging technology utilized by deep state leadership. But before we get to Mike, I want to fill you guys in on some more information we received from listener and historian Todd Snosh. So Snosh is researching a book about robber baron Andrew Carnegie's so-called dinosaur diplomacy, and he's uncovered information about the story we're looking into this season on optophobia. We've been examining the adventures of a group of soldiers from various Union Army engineering units who were sent west by members of President Lincoln's inner circle. This group called themselves the Shovelmen, and their mission was to find a location in the western territories that would be suitable for a large underground bunker. In theory, it would be from such a bunker that Lincoln would lead an American republic in exile a byproduct of Todd Snosh's research into the 1899 discovery of the extraordinary Diplodocus fossil, later nicknamed Dippy, in Medicine Bow, Wyoming, 
has been a collection of letters between one of the shovelmen, Captain Habakkuk P. Mott, and a member of Lincoln's inner circle and the president's spiritual advisor, Bishop Matthew Simpson. From those letters, we now know that the shovelmen likely began digging near a place called Walbright Creek in the southern foothills of the Medicine Bow Mountains that straddle Wyoming and Colorado. And we also know that as they began digging, they were frustrated by the large number of enormous dinosaur bones they kept hitting with their equipment. So this week, Snosh sent us a letter dated a full 11 months after the last one, so July 1863. It was again written by Captain Habakkuk Mott and addressed to Bishop Simpson. After a dismal six months for the Union Army, in the summer of 1863, it looked increasingly like the shovelman's work would be necessary for the survival of the Republic. Months earlier, the shovelmen had been instructed to double their efforts and have the bunker ready by year's end. As soon as we figured out that instead of burning the large creature's bones, we should be using them to solve the load-bearing problems, we began to move quickly, Mott wrote to Simpson. We have cleared 5,000 square feet, about 30 feet below the surface. The area is protected by a 10-foot-thick roof of hard, cement-like material made of limestone, shale, clay, iron, and mostly crushed-up dinosaur bones. It's large enough for about 50 people comfortably. The space itself has a clearance of 8 feet to allow for the president's top hats and consists mainly of offices that double as living space. But we have built air filters through the bunker and framed out a boiler room, a large war room, a kitchen with a coffee maker, and a wine storage area. The president's office will be larger than the others, and we've placed a lovely, giant, oval-shaped pelvic bone of an ankylosaurus in the middle for a desk. So those are some great new details from Todd Snosh. I'm curious. I mean, I'm hoping that Todd keeps sending these letters, but I'm just curious to know what the archives are where Todd is getting this, all of this great information. So maybe um, we'll be able to get him on the show at some point when he can fill us in. But in the meantime, I'm here with my regular co-host, Grandma and Underground City Planner, Muriel Walland. Hi, Robert. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Muriel? What's new? Oh, nothing new. I was just thinking about that. That information you got from Todd Snosh. Yeah. Because we have been using bones to erect our buildings in Sheol for a very long time. Well, yeah, I was going to ask you about that because this is a very, it's very engineering based. Obviously, it's about how to build a city underground so that the ground itself doesn't crush the people who are living there. So, And I know that you have done a lot of work in this area. Definitely. It's really the calcium content of the bones that, that keeps it um, strong yet light in a way that allows buildings to really just be indestructible in a subterranean context. For example, uh, the grandbabies and I just got back from Old Navy, and this Old Navy was basically completely constructed out of bones. Oh, this is an Old Navy in Sheol. Sheol. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most of our buildings are part bone. Not dinosaur bone. I mean, bone's a bone. Yeah. Bone's a bone. But yours are not. So yours might be from dinosaurs. They might be from other creatures. Yeah. Bone's a bone. Okay. Anyway. Um, yeah. So I would just I just think that's an interesting little tidbit. Yeah. So is it the calcium? So when you say the calcium has to be light, does that mean that bones 
make it so that underground cities can kind of breathe under the with all that dirt around them is it something that's is that part of the engineering yeah i would say that you want something light but strong because then if if the bone were to crack and to fall on somebody so it wouldn't it wouldn't crush them beneath the weight of the building materials does that make sense yeah are there other parts of the body that are used in underground city planning well i think that if you get creative you can use all kinds of parts of the body for example, blood makes for great seat cushion. Oh. If you if you let it sit out for a bit, it's like soft and kind of squishy, like a gel Tempur-Pedic. So does it have to be encased in something or does it just form its own? I mean, stick it in a stomach, stick it in like uh, somebody's spleen. You know, those can be hollowed too. And you just, you just let it sit for a little bit, you dehydrate it, and it's a nice little cushion. So that's more interior design than um than say underground city planning, but Well it shows that you it's kind of a nose to tail uh, Oh strategy. for sure. We have a big sustainability push in Sheol and we're really trying to, you know, use the whole animal. Um if you'd like more background on our season exploring the deep state, you can listen to our first episode or go to our website optophobia.org. I had been really excited to talk about the literature of the deep state, something we hadn't gotten into before with poet Karen Alman Schnazy, but unfortunately she was not able to join us. It seems that Oprah has chosen Karen's new deep state focused poetry collection, Underground is Where the Heart Is, for her book club and has banned Karen from appearing on other shows. So that seems sort of unfair, but okay. But it truly does not matter because at the very last minute, we were able to secure a terrific guest. Mike Hightower is with us all the way from Wisconsin. Mike, thanks for being on Optophobia. Hello. Yes. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much. So tell us a little bit about where you're from in Wisconsin, what you do in Wisconsin. Uh, Sure. Well, I was originally from Janesville. And then after high school, I got married to my high school sweetheart and we moved up to Wisconsin Dells. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to the Dells in Wisconsin. Oh, yeah, but the Dells. A, yeah, you've been? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, mini golf. That's right. Yeah, it's a big tourist attraction. There's a lot of mini golf. There's uh, there's water parks as the United States' largest indoor water park. If you're interested in water parks, go ahead and check it out. And a lot of fun little fun little games like you got your Wizard's Quest kind of game where you go in and you solve a little, like little wizard puzzles. Um, it's a good time, good family time. It sounds like you're in that industry. Not so much touristy industry. I mean, I, I sell mattresses. So people come through, I sell them mattresses if they if they need to pick up a mattress. Oh, cool. Yeah. So do you have your own business? Um, I do, yeah. It's Wisconsin Premium Mattress Company. Uh, by day, I sell mattresses. And by night, I must sleep. Oh, uh-huh. that's good. Uh-huh. We do, you know, a lot of people, they go to like, uh, they go to like those big mattress stores. You see them, you know, like your mattress firm and uh, and stuff like that. But I tell them, no, 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 they're going to rip you off. They're going to sell you a bad product. Come over to me. I'll get you sleeping right. How are you? Are you all sleeping okay? Everybody sleeping okay here? I'm sleeping okay. Yeah? These days. Okay, good. Meryl, do you sleep? Well, I would say I sleep like a baby. But that's because I'm running after my grandbabies all day long, you oh, know. Yeah, yeah. And then I, when I hit the hay, uh, you know, I really hit it. Uh, Mike, how long have you been in the mattress business? What what got you into it? I worked a couple jobs out of high school, and I just decided I, there was a small mattress company. I started working there a little bit, just putting them together, and I decided, you know what, I'm gonna I want to take over this thing and run it myself. The guy who was running he was real old at the time; he was going a little, you know, and so then. He signed it over to me, and I've been running it ever since. Changed the name and everything. 
And what was the name again? Wisconsin Premium Mattress Company. That's what it is now. What are the perks of being a mattress salesman? Uh, the perks, you know, it's mostly just kind of knowing you're doing a good thing for people. Like a lot of people get – there are a couple industries where people just get ripped off all the time. You know, what comes to mind here? Like rental cars, people get ripped off. Timeshares. Timeshares, yeah. You know, it's a whole business based on like scamming people out of their money. I feel the same way about mattresses. They'll sell you something that's designed to break down in a couple years. The foam just starts to go. Um, yeah, so we try to sell them good, high-quality products, make sure people are sleeping right, and just do good by do good by the people. You know, I have to say, I, I usually don't talk bad about former clients because, you know, in my former role as the businesswoman slash consultant slash underground city planner, I did work with the mattress firm. And I did some work with them because they say, how do we keep open and in business having a thousand stores, stores everywhere with zero people in any of them? And I said, let's talk. And now they're in business. How did that happen? I don't want to get into it because I'm under an, a very airtight NDA. But let me just tell you, they would do anything to keep those stores open. And they do do anything to keep those stores open. And if I told you what they do, you wouldn't be able to sleep. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to sleep even on one of your premium mattresses. Is that so? Yeah, I'm just saying. It sounds like there was a deal made. Maybe, uh, you know, I'm a businesswoman. I make deals. Have you made mattresses in Sheol out of bones or bodies? That's another blood product. Tempur-Pedic connection. That would make sense yeah, since the since cushions were. squishy. Anyway, I want to hear more about your ascent to being the, would you say the mattress king? Of Wisconsin, uh, some people may say that you know I'm not one to I'm not one to call myself that per se, um, but I do think we sell the best mattresses in Wisconsin. And you know I'm not reinventing the wheel here. I'm just assembling layers for people in pleasing ways with materials that are are good, well constructed materials. You say you sleep on mattresses made out of blood. You know I don't know if I can fully get behind that. It sounds like it might be a little, maybe a little messy and uh, not that comfortable. Um, and maybe not that durable or sustainable, but yeah, you know, it's I'm not one of It's encased blood. It's not just a pool. Okay. It's not just a pool. So encased in like a, encased like a in layer a, of... a casing of sewn together skin bits. Okay. But let's not get into that. We just do things a little different down in Sheol. That's for another time. This is about you, Mr. Mattress you're right, King. You're right. I apologize. This is about you. So, Mike, I have a question. You, you mentioned Mattress Firm and some other places that are these big chains, not very trustworthy, potentially almost scams in some cases. How do you, as a mattress salesman, an independent mattress salesman, convince any couple who comes in to your store in the Dells that you're not just one of them? Yeah. Um, first thing I'll have them do is I'll have them just sit on any mattress nearby. You know, it's hard to tell the quality just by sitting on it. But I'll, as soon as I get them sitting down, I'll say, close your eyes. Sink into yourself. Think about your family. If you have one, imagine them here on the bed with you. You got any pets? Imagine them on the bed with you. And I try to just make people feel like they're at home in the moment. And then usually I show them the price tag too and they're like, okay, this seems like a reasonable deal. So yours is the kind of mattress that the whole family could sleep on with their pets? If they wanted to, yeah. I mean you'd probably need a king size or a California king or something like that if you have a, if you have a big family or a couple people or a couple pets or something like that. 
We could fit everybody on a full or even a twin if you wanted to. I wouldn't recommend it. Small family. Tiny little. Maybe a starter family. Yeah, starter family. If everybody slept head to toe, you know, maybe we could fit everybody on there. We could stack them up vertically. A Willy Wonka thing. And the thing is, you put all those people on there, my mattresses, they're not going to, after a couple of years, your mattress firm mattresses are going to have a, a, a dent in them. They're going to sink down, and you're going to feel that every time you get on them. My mattresses, they pop back up because we use uh, good quality towel and Dunlop latex. Well, let's take a quick break. I'm really interested to see, to get into some of Mike's research about the deep state. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back with uh, Mike Hightower. Hey, optophobes. You know that feeling you get the last week in August when it no longer makes sense to pretend summer won't end? That fear of having to wear socks again is actually the fear of change. You love summer. You hate impermanence. But giving up summer is comparatively easy. You know it'll come around again in nine months. Fear of change is really about loss of control. It's easier to stay in a job or career you're not thrilled about than it is to explore an entirely new field. It's easier to stay in a stable but unsatisfying relationship than it is to break it off and risk being alone. Fear of change is common, and it can be debilitating. But at Blend Venom Solutions, we believe you can stave off that fear with Cratefinium Extra Large Plus. Cratefinium Extra Large Plus is made from the venom of the many-banded crate and the delphinium flower, both native to southern China's Sichuan province. The many-banded crate is one of the most venomous snakes in the world. Its venom contains pre- and postsynaptic neurotoxins known as bungaro toxins that bind irreversibly to receptors of the neuromuscular junction. But in combination with the extract of the delphinium flower, the crate's venom is mostly neutralized and produces an effect, at least on our test subjects at the Polyps of Jonathan Winters Elder Care Community in Shalimar County, Florida, somewhere between unconsciousness and not caring about anything at all. Just gargle four gallons of Cratefinium Extra Large Plus each morning for six weeks straight, and while you'll certainly feel some of the venom at work, bilateral ptosis, diplopia, discomfort in the chest, general ache, weak feeling in your limbs, ataxia, glossolysis, loss of voice, dysphagia, tunnel vision, and difficulty breathing, you'll also be ready for any change that gets you away from those symptoms. Blend Venom Solutions. We take away your fears using snakes. Okay, we are back with Mike Hightower. Uh, Mike, so we were talking a little bit about your job as a mattress entrepreneur. Yeah. But I mentioned at the very top of the show that you have some very specific theories about the deep state. Uh, you've done a lot of research into this area of time in the deep state, which may or may not, I guess we'll find out in a second, fit into your job in mattresses. But tell us a little bit about your concentration of deep state research. Okay, so the people in the deep state, the deep state, they have access to and have developed some kind of anti-aging either technology or medication. I don't know what it is. I don't know how they administer it. But what it does, it prevents people from aging. You know, the human body is made up of what? Cells, right? That is correct. Okay, good. That is correct. Confirmed. And if you have at the cellular level, once your cells start dying, that's it for you. But if you can prevent that process from happening, you won't die. So what I'm saying is these people, some of the people you see walking around, 
They look like they're 45, 50. They could be 145, 150. We don't even know. Wow. Okay. So does it decelerate or does it just stop? It, it, it can fully stop it, fully prevent it and keep you kind of frozen in, 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 in a particular age. Okay. And so the deep state, they pioneered this kind of research for themselves, their own residents? I can only speculate as to what they want. But what I believe is they have people who they are indoctrinating with deep state agendas, freeze them at a certain age, make sure they get everything they need to know, and then when they're ready, send them off into our world to become part of the government, run stuff, etc. So some of the people you see in the government, way older than you think they are. You know what? This is reminding me of a previous client, too. So before I was, when I was a businesswoman, I worked with Cher. And Cher the, the singer? Which other Cher, Robert? Any other shares you'd like to mention? You'd like to share? It's the only one I I know. Okay, so let me tell you this. I worked with Cher on her telomeres. These are the little bits on the end of your DNA, and if they stay long forever, your cells will replicate forever, and you will not die. Telomeres. Telomeres. And Cher said to me, she said, Muriel, I will do anything to get my telomeres long. And have them stay long. And I said, okay, let's talk. Bing, bam, boom. Her telomeres are in great shape. She's never going to die. She looks great. Young forever. I think that Mike's idea has something to do with the telomeres. You know, I don't know technically how it works. I'm not a doctor. I couldn't tell you. So, Mike, and so you're thinking, the next like level of your thinking is they have this technology. They train their own residents to infiltrate the constitutional state. Yep. So how does the anti-aging work into that? Why is it better for them to not age? Because they'll just be here longer? Child prodigies. You know what I'm talking about? You'll see these stories come up where it's like six-year-old chess grandmaster or, or you know, eight-year-old is a, is now a math professor or something like that. You think those kids are really six and eight? Oh. They are anti-aged at their age, kept as a child, trained in chess, trained in math, trained in whatever they're supposed to be trained in, and then they come out into our world, and everybody's like, "Whoa! Look at these! Look at these genius kids!" So you're saying that these some of these prodigies that we see, they've possibly been practicing the violin for 150 years. Exactly. Yeah, it's like uh, you know the movie. It's, it would be like Groundhog Day, except everybody keeps going, and he stays the same. And how does that help them? What do they get out of it? Most of the people they release are of adult age. And they're ready to go into whether it be it politics or or economics or whatever, and uh, and start implementing the deep state agenda. For kids, I don't know. It's hard to say what the point of these child prodigies is. Maybe just to give the rest of us hope or or some kind of optimism for the future, something like that. Just someone to put on the Ellen DeGeneres show. Yeah, yeah. Maybe just like uh, make us feel like these kids are going to do something great. You know, it makes me feel better about your own life. Do we know if they've conducted any experiments on non-deep state residents? Like, could anybody from the surface have been a victim of their... My guess would be, you know, most of it is done internally. Like, they have deep state citizens will be part of this. They're all working to, for the greater good of the deep state. So they're willing volunteers to be to be tested with anti-aging or pre-aging or whatever. You know, I think, I think uh, Tom Hanks has been pre-aged. I think he's about probably eight or nine years old. Did you just see the movie Big? I did, yeah. 
But that how else how else was he so good? It's true. Also, Forrest Gump, he was great. Oh, I see. So they've so there. It's not just the government that the deep states. Hollywood is also no, no, part. no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. In, it's hard to tell, but people higher up in government, economics, entertainment industry, any level of power, pretty much. So, Mike, the history that we've talked about, the deep state history that we've that we've uncovered on the show this season, is it possible that the original founders of the deep state, the Shovelmen? have been kept alive through this research? I would say, yeah, it's possible. So if you're trying to contract people to dig a big hole and say this is going to be top secret, how are you going to convince them to stay in on the secret and not tell anybody? My guess is this is some form of payment. It's like, hey, you and your family, we can keep you alive. Yeah, so it's a promise of, of immortality. The, yeah, that, that would be my guess, yeah. I mean, that is a big – people will do anything for immortality. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Most people would take that in a second. I mean, me right now, probably not. But most people, especially when they're young, would be like, oh, I'd love to live forever. What, what would you give to live forever, Mike? What would I give? Yeah. I mean, how much? Right? Like, what's the limit for me? Uh, a couple – I guess I'd get rid of a couple fingers. Okay. Interesting. Do you have a reason for asking it's that question? It's just a fun party question. We're going to have to end it on that note. I want to thank our guest this week, Mike Hightower. Mike, thanks so much for coming all the way from the Dells. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much. And I want to thank my co-host, as always, Maria Wallen. You're welcome. I'm just going to be spending the rest of the day thinking about what if everybody got Ebola. Just like pooped blood. Isn't that fun? More pillows. More pillows for everybody. Next week, we're going to talk to Jordan Raggle, a genetic counselor from Sunburst, Montana, who believes he can prove that the deep staters are genetically unique from other Americans and claims they may, in fact, be totally distinct life forms. Thank you for listening to Optophobia. I'm Robert L. Wheeler, and I will leave you with this. Children who swim faster drown less. If you've got theories about what the deep state really wants, we'd like to hear them. You can find us on our website at optophobia.org or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at at optophobes. And please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Thank you to Neil Barron, who played Mike Hightower. Neil performs with The Broken Bones, Goodison, and Doggington S. Wanderson. Follow him on Instagram at at N-E-I-R-L. Liz Sanders played Muriel Woland. Liz performs with Madeline, a Washington improv theater house ensemble. Optophobia was produced by Tim Townsend. Music by Bart Warshaw. Cover art by Claire Smalley. Website by Chance Griffin. Thanks for listening. Until next week, keep them open. Keep them open.